I'm Kelly Hoey, host of Broadmic. I speak with the most accomplished entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders about the issues that matter in building a business. You will get the inspiration as well as the picks and shovels you need to become a better entrepreneur. Be inspired, take action, think broad. Broadmic is taking a short break to produce season two. While we are gone, we are releasing exclusive bonus content from all of our guests from season one. We hope you will enjoy hearing even more of the practical wisdom from our amazing guests. Broadmic will be back in a few weeks. In the meantime, think broad. Sticking with this whole notion of lean, um, I want to layer it over with culture and team and diversity um, and how it impacts team and culture. Um, you know, um, I know you had a blog post on this recently, Tammy, and, and what's the benefit of agile for team and culture? I think it comes back to that failing as failing as opportunity for learning. So if you have the nature that we're going to iterate, as Nikki said, that agile is about iteration and lean is about learning, then a team can be more accepting when things don't go well. That a launch may not be perfect, a feature may not be perfect, you might have to pull it back, but if it's always around the sense of learning, that's great. And that can be incorporated into not just development teams that can be incorporated into your marketing team and into your sales team, into your HR team. Right now, we're running a variety of experiments for recruiting. How does certain copy resonate with different people? How does the email signature correlate with other people? What if we added images or GIFs? And those are all experiments and opportunities for learning. And if your team knows that it's okay that you might not get the same number of clicks on a new kind of email or a new newsletter, but you're going to learn from it, that's where you know that a team is dedicated into your future. Because they say, okay, we learned something, and now we're going to move on to the next step. It's always about the next thing and what's next and what can you do next based on what you've just learned. That, that's really, really, really helpful. And, and, and that's a great way of looking at it in terms of, um, you know, failure in team and learning um, and, and applying it and having it um, work through everything um, that way. Um, Nikki, I'm I'm looking at you knowing you started your career in publishing. You've now been in a luxury auction house that's been around since when? 1776. 1776. Who, you know, there you go, old established, interesting company, and now in the digital age. Um, as someone who has changed, you know, employers uh, over the course of your career, what do you look for? What kind of culture do you look for when you're when you're joining a team and and thinking about this world of tech and and diversity? So something that I really look for is a place um, where I feel like I'm going to be challenged and not only challenged by the product that I have to build, but challenged by the people around me in the sense that they will kind of have ways of thinking about something that I maybe didn't have. And I think that um, product people, from what I've I've really seen, um, are people who have ideas. They're people who have opinions. And that's great. And that's really what you want as a product person. Um, but sometimes product people also think that their their idea is best. And I myself am guilty of that all the time. But um, I'm really looking to be a part of a team that challenges me and that inspires me. And they, they might inspire me with their kindness. They might inspire me with their creativity. They might inspire me with thinking about something in a way that I never could have thought of it. And I think that um, 
as someone who's built a team, what's important for me is not necessarily saying, um, are these people coming from something that is similar to what I'm trying to build? But actually, I look for people who have very different experiences. Um, coming, you know, being in the auction world right now, I'm not looking to hire more people in the auction world. I'm looking to hire people who have completely different experiences and can bring that to the table. Uh, one thing that I like to do with my team is every Thursday we have lunch and we talk about things that we thought were just interesting that we found online throughout the week. And it might inspire us in ways that we didn't think about. Uh, one thing that um, I thought was great was recently we were talking about how it's really hard for people to say what type of art they like. Art's very subjective, and usually you can look at something and just say, I like that. But you might not be able to verbalize what it is that you like. And we noticed that a company called Stitch Fix was doing something very similar, where Stitch Fix is a company that sends you clothes every couple of weeks based on your personal style. But if I said to someone right now, what is your personal style? They'd probably say, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm kind of preppy or so, you know, you might not exactly know how to verbalize what your style is. But I was going to say, say it's a cold day. My style is warm. My, right. My style is, is a my style like, is cashmere. Yeah. Your style is not. Yeah. Style is like, yeah, <laughs> is warm as possible. Right. Yeah. There is no style today. Yeah. And so you might not be able to say. And so, but looking at pictures of clothes, you can very easily say, oh, I like that. I like that. We decided, well, that's actually completely applicable to what we have. So we should use that. And I think it's Having people who come from different experiences really help to shape your product, not necessarily people use the term best in class. I'm looking to build best overall, not necessarily best in class. And so I want to bring a team together who come from various backgrounds who can kind of help to make our product the best it can be. And whether you're male, female, um, you are the same ethnicity as me, same religion, same culture, it doesn't really matter to me. That's really great for us for after-hour conversation, but I think what makes us really unique is kind of the experiences that we've had in our various jobs. Having worked in you know, publishing and entertainment and TV and now an auction, I often find myself bringing in things from various industries that I never thought I would into the product I'm building today. Yeah, I was going to say, for me, what I'm what I, you know, thinking about is that you were building a great product. Yes. Don't, I'm not having to build my best new friends when i you know, hiring and, and building a team. Who right. can I work with? Right. Um, and sometimes that's not necessarily, you know, the easiest team, uh, you know, to hang out with and have a beer with. But, yeah. you know, that's irrelevant in many ways. Um, you know, Alessandra, again, someone who was started your career in San Francisco, oh, sorry, uh, Seattle. Uh, with Microsoft, uh, then you move to New York. Um, you know how you know? Do you draw out culture? Uh, thinking about all right. You said you knew nothing about three D printing, yet you moved from Seattle to New York, took a job. <laughs> like, what was it? What were you in terms of drawing out um, in an interview beyond the product they were building, which you could find on Wikipedia? Yeah. How did you were drawing about like this is an environment I can work in? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it really, for me, comes down to thought leadership, really respecting and looking for that cross-functional thought leadership. And, you know, especially coming from a position where I was a partial product manager and partial product marketing manager, I really wanted to go full-time into product management, but also not to a company that, um, you know, really relegated product marketing and all other, you know, internal business functions that work with product management as kind of secondary sources for inspiration and, and you know, and, and kind of deprioritizing sometimes the inputs into the product itself because I had been on the other side of that, you know, kind of that, that wall between the two roles. And so when I spoke with the team, you know, the Shapeways team had a really great experience with them in the interview process of, talking to someone on the design team, talking to someone on the development team, and really pushing for 
how do you give input into the product? And how does a product team receive that? How does the product team work with everybody else in the company? How do they work, you know, up with, you know, management and down with the rest of the team and across with all of their peers and colleagues? And um, it's it's very interesting what you can uh, tease out about, you know, potential future colleagues by just asking them, oh, well, you, you know, you're on the design team. How do you work with uh, one of the developers on your latest projects? What kind of input do you have versus somebody else? And I think with a good product team, you'll find that a lot of the inspiration ideas um, don't always come from the product manager, but they're shaped by the product manager. Um, and if a product manager is willing to say that in an interview um, and acknowledge that when you are talking to the team, to me, that's a, a big sign of strength um, because I think as a product manager, um, the best products that I've ever been a part of and you know been lucky to um, help build have really been when the entire team has been involved in shaping what that product vision has been. And ultimately, as a product manager, you have total responsibility for making that product succeed. If it if it does succeed, it's because of everybody worked on it, and if it fails, it's your fault. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you have the whole team in on it together, then that makes that experience a lot better. No, you had a thought there, Tammy. Yeah, something I wanted to add to everything we've talked about is the importance of respect. That when joining a team, how can you make sure that you're respected, and how does how do people currently interact? How to asking people asking a team how do they currently challenge each other? Like what words they use when challenging each other is really important. Number one, you want to make sure they are challenging each other because if you're coming in as a product manager and everyone's just going to do exactly what you say without saying, hey, sometimes you're heading in the wrong direction based on knowledge we already have, you're the newbie on the team. You have to rely on everyone else's experience, especially for the first few months, in guiding you. So the question becomes, how will you tell me that I'm potentially heading in the wrong direction? How do you challenge each other? How do you challenge the designer on your team if you know more about the user than they do? And how do you do that in a very respectful manner? Because as a team, you want to make sure you have mutual respect. I think one thing to add on that is understanding the role that the product team plays within the company. It changes with every organization, and I think it's really about what is the brand image of the company and kind of where does product sit? Uh, if you are in a company that is all about, I'll give Christie's for an example, it's all about selling art. Art and the people who sell the art are the most important thing in that company. So product, while important, is not as important as those people who are buying and selling the art. And so I think it's important as you kind of look for that role to understand, like, is this a company that's just all about the product, in which case your group is kind of going to be the ones, as Alessandra is saying, to make those decisions and get everyone involved? Or is your team kind of kind of going to be a support staff team, in which case you're going to kind of learn from other people who are doing other things that are about the bigger brand of the company? And kind of what just, again, evaluating for yourself how comfortable you are with those various situations, which which place you, you see yourself sitting. And so I sort of think about it. It's like, what part of the company is generating the revenue? Yeah, and, exactly. And focus on that because it, we all know everything flows from the money. Yes. <laughs> Management is not necessarily, you know, something that people are born with or good at. You know, sometimes it's a question of you've been in a job long enough and you get the title and the responsibility. Um, so any guidance or advice on how you have figured out how to, you know, manage people up and down and now knowing they're CEO of 
Cyrus Innovation, obviously someone thinks you're good at vision and managing, uh, Tammy. So how, how have you figured it out? What, what kind of things have either work assignments or a TED Talk or something, a boss, a mentor? I definitely have a lot of mentors, and I had a business coach when I first started. There's this common phrase, which is a PM is the CEO of a product. And I was never one to use that. I, I didn't really believe in it because you have no hiring and firing capabilities. And there's reasons why that isn't appropriate. But now that I am a CEO, I understand that the most important thing a CEO can do is make a decision and make often a quick decision and stand by it and also be okay with the iteration and change later. But people are looking to you for direction as a manager, as a CEO, as an executive. And so Product managers make decisions every day. So if you can be good at making decisions and sticking by them, full well knowing that you may not have all of the information, and with your limited information, how can you move forward? That's what being a CEO and a manager is about. It's helping the people beneath you or who you're, who you're leading or they're behind you is a better way of thinking about it. How can you help them know what direction you're going in and whether or not to turn right or left so that they can confidently go with you. And sometimes that means explaining why you made a decision and being transparent about it. And sometimes it means saying, I'm doing this based on my gut, and if we're wrong, we'll change directions, and being open to that criticism, discussing things with team members. But product managers also have this sense of empathy, and I think that's really important in management as well. The empathy for your employees, the empathy for your team members, as they have struggles that you've either encountered or not encountered, and being willing to adjust your expectations of them according to what's going on. And when did you get the business coach? When you took the CEO role, or I took the CEO role. And was this the first time you'd you'd? And was your like your decision? And was the first time that you had you had uh, gotten a business coach, or had done this previously? It's the first time I had a had a professional business coach. In the past, I'd had mentors, and I had had managers. But as CEO, I didn't have a manager anymore, and so I needed a little bit more guidance. And it was a very new role for me. So I reached out to friends and advisors of mine, and I said, "I'm looking for a business coach. Who can you introduce me to?" And I was introduced to a number of people. Some similar to other product decisions were too high cost. <laughs> Um, and some were the wrong location. They weren't local. We couldn't meet face-to-face. It was going to be over Skype sessions. I knew based on my personality what I was looking for, and I found a really great business coach who she herself was previously a product manager, so we were able to speak with the same lingo, and it really helped me understand how previous skills I had developed could be applicable to my new role. That's great. That's really great. Um, Looking at you, Nikki. In terms of ideas on um, things that you looked to when you were starting to manage, I you know I want to say both, yeah. but more more on the people, but both product and people. Like what what kind of resources did you look to to say, all right, what kind of manager am I going to be, or do I want to be? I think like Tammy, I looked to previous bosses and looked to people who I consider mentors. Um, I was really fortunate. My first day working, my first job, uh, my boss sat me down and said, I want to tell you something that's really important. You have to have perspective here. No one is going to die on the table today, and you're not going to lose a large sum of money. Just keep that in mind. Every decision that you make can be changed, and everyone around here is someone that you have to earn their respect. So you have to think on your feet. You have to be really smart, but you have to also be humble. And you can't walk into a room pretending to know everything. You have to kind of understand what it is that other people bring to the table. And I thought that was really great advice. And I think what I've learned from being a manager is actually that it's, as 
Tammy was saying, empathy is really important too. I think for my team, feeling seen and heard, which is something I know we throw out this term all the time, it's so important. Mostly people have a lot of complaints at work. And I think your job as a manager is to also listen to those complaints, to hear them out, to, to be able to suss out what is just this person needing to vent, having a bad day, feeling like they weren't seen or that their opinion was not heard, and what's actually something you're going to take from that and say, you know, that's a good idea, we need to run with this. And I think the thing that's really hard is kind of balancing that act of um, having empathy, but also being able to kind of draw the hard line and say, I heard you, I understand, but unfortunately, we're not going to do what you're asking. And that's really hard about being a manager. But it's also kind of using that analogy again of, of going west. It's like you have these five different cars that are driving in different directions, and you also need to be the one to kind of wrangle them. And when you get the phone call that says, you know, I got a flat tire, I'm in Tulsa, what do I do? Um, to be the one that kind of is going to walk them through, okay, this is, these are the steps you're going to do. Let me figure out how to help you. What's the best way to move this forward? Because ultimately your job is to keep everyone in forward motion, to think about how you're going to keep moving that roadmap, how you're going to keep moving the product, how you're going to keep iterating. And you have to be someone who can kind of pick your head up and see the forest through the trees and say, okay, I know how we're going to get there and keep that positive mindset and keep everyone driving. Alexander. Yeah, I think one of the most important things, and I don't have any direct reports. Um, you know, I've, I have mentored uh, several people at Microsoft, and I'm, um, you know, absolutely love mentoring people. But the most important thing for me has been a couple of different things. One is having great mentors. Um, and you'll be really surprised sometimes who those mentors end up being. It could be a colleague. It could be your manager. It could be uh, someone who happens to walk by your office and you strike an interesting conversation. Um, and that kind of leads to the second thing is just having really good relationships, investing in relationships with all of the people you work with. Because as a product manager, often you won't have any direct authority over anyone who's responsible for making that product come to life. And so if you need to ask somebody to pull an all-nighter to throw a Hail Mary at the last second um, to make this product, you know, change it at the last minute or change the landing page uh, so that it's more understandable, you have to have the relationship there to ask for that. And I think one of the ways to go about that is, you know, being very open, understanding your strengths, understanding their strengths, and instead of saying, hey, this is what I need for you, from you as a product manager, saying, here's how I can help you. Here's how I can help you get your job done. Here's how I can help you get more information. I'm also aware that this person over here is working with this team who may impact you down the road. And having that big picture vision um, and, and really providing that to people as a resource is a great way to develop strong relationships. Finally, I think... Um, you should really play to your strengths. I love baking. And um, I definitely, when I started at Microsoft, um, had come, you know, was previously an intern, was joining a new team. And um, so I started up this uh, Bing Bakers program. I used to work for Bing the search engine. And um, really, it was just me. It really wasn't anybody else. There was a couple people who half-heartedly participated at some point. Um, but it was really great because I did something that I really enjoyed doing, which was baking. I would bring it in. I would keep it in my office. And it meant that anybody who wanted um, cupcakes or cookies or whatever it is that I had baked had to come to my office and talk to me. And um, naturally, if people are, you know, coming to, you know, share or, or take some some you know, baked goods for you or whatever that is, it naturally leads to a conversation. Um, and it gave me an opportunity to speak to a lot of people that otherwise I really wouldn't have any um, good reason to talk to. And I actually 
met some of my mentors through that way, um, and I started on a lot of projects that I otherwise wouldn't have known about if it hadn't been for for that. So, you know, play to your own strengths. Do things that really uh, makes you you, and don't be afraid to, um, you know, use that to your advantage. And I think that's something that has definitely followed for me and been a uh, um, something that's been really helpful for me to meet new people. And that doesn't matter, you know, if it's the CEO who's walking down, you know, walking by your desk for cookies or if it's uh, the newest intern that's coming for two months. Um, those relationships uh, often end up being equally valuable. That's huge, that story. And, and that um, that playing to your strengths and doing things that invite conversation, um, particularly across a company, because having those networks and connections is so, so, so vital. Uh, and I just, you know what, want to ask this question. Um, you know, given the fact that, okay, we're a majority in this room right now, but as women in a lot of workplaces, you're, you are one of the, you know, one of the minorities. Um, and, you know, how does that impact at all, um, you know, your management style or how you feel you can you know, I would say um, change or impact culture. Um, is it has been something that, in terms of crossing your mind, or you're like, I'm here because I'm this, and this is what it is. I generally think of it as I like to just think of myself as a manager, regardless of male, female. Uh, but one thing that I think is interesting is that uh, even in my in my company, we started a lean in group, which I'm very active in. And we've said numerous times to people, this is not actually just for women. This is just for everyone. Everyone in the company should be a part of a conversation where um, when we're talking about something, when we use examples, we don't necessarily say he. We don't necessarily make everything about a male. Um, we don't have conversations uh, where people say, are you a working mom? You can also be a working dad. Uh, that we are open to policies about, you know, whether it's uh, paternity leave also and having maternity leave as well, that those are kind of conversations that we're actively following. But in terms of how I I look to kind of manage, I also think that as a woman, sometimes my management style does tend to be a little bit more um, open and to the point of having empathy, being able to be emotional, being able to be clued into my team in ways that sometimes I, I've noticed that my male uh, bosses have not been. So, for example, if someone on my team is um, suffering the loss of a parent or a potentially even planning a wedding or having something in their personal life that's taking up some of their own mental time that I've noticed is taking them away from the job at hand, that I'm not going to just gloss over it, that I'm going to go talk to them about it, that we're going to have a conversation that my team feels they can come to me and kind of say, hey, I'm going through a hard time right now. Do you mind if I work from home this day? Or do you mind if I leave an hour early because I have to go to this doctor's appointment? Whatever it might be, um, that I can be open to those things. Because I think also that makes them um, better at their job. Uh, you're there for eight hours a day mostly or even more, most of us. So it's kind of like for those eight hours a day, your mind's going to wander to something else. And having a manager who understands if you're in a different place is also really important. Knowing you can come into the workplace and be hurt. Yes. And, and knowing you can come into the workplace yes. and have people who understand and and get you. Um, Tammy, any shifts in your leadership style since becoming CEO? Uh, no, but when it comes to the minority, I definitely want to touch on that. It actually goes back to something Alessandra said about Wikipedia, especially if you're a non-technical person. I'm a non-technical person. Doing your homework is really important. So 
as a CEO, I started managing a PL sheet. I had never done that before. And my head of finance is a woman, but she still knows a lot more about that stuff than I do. And so taking the time to both sit with her and have her go through all of the terms with me, which you can do with a developer, and it's not really a matter of gender, but understanding and owning up to the fact that you don't have all of the answers and that you're, you don't know everything, but that you do your homework and that you do a little bit of research along the way will really help in all forms of relationships. Because you say, I respect your time enough that I don't want you explaining to me the simplistic stuff, but I, I need to know that in order to be on your level of on a certain level of conversation. And there will still be things that you as the head of finance or you as a developer are going to have a specialty in and you're going to understand better than I will, always. But at least I can have an intelligent conversation with you. And that's a matter of me putting in the time and doing the homework. But I think that's a that's a great way in terms of thinking about, all right, how can you, um, if you're not, um, if you're feeling insecure because you're not, um, you know, one of the majority, um, you you don't have um, you know the same gender or you don't have the same skill set. How do you get yourself into a place where that group of people around you, you know, trusts you, respects you, um, and you can have a strong working relationship? Um, that was really, really, really great advice. So. Uh, what I want to do now, I want to jump into some questions that we had um, given to us by, you know, I say fans, fans of Broad Mike, and these are coming in from entrepreneurs. So sort of with that in mind, um, say one question is, you know, and this is, this is a big, broad question, and I think we've touched on it before, um, is what are the core engineering people I need when I start up? And I guess the answer is it depends, but... You know, any other suggestions, Tammy, from where we started earlier on this question? I think as a startup, it's important to understand the concept of what's known as full stack. So both the front end, which is the pretty stuff everyone looks at and taps or clicks on, as well as the back end, which is the architecture and all of the business logic. So there are engineers who are considered full stack, meaning they can do all of those things. There are other engineers that specialize in one or the other Figuring out how you want to structure your team around that. Do you want to hire someone who's really good at front end? Because it's really important to you have an excellent user experience where there's flashy things going on. Or is it more important that the back end is really strong because there's complex business logic, you're working in financial services, and without the right calculations happening, you're not going to be able to sell your product. So figuring out if you want to different people, whether it's a full-stack person who's more heavier back-end or more heavier front-end, can you hire two part-time people, where a designer fits into that, et cetera, et cetera, really depends on the product. But understanding what your options are, that there are engineers who can do both, and that there are engineers who really have a specialty in front or back-end so that you can prioritize your resources accordingly is where I think the key really stands. I'm going to go back, you know, to where one of Alessandra's suggestions, go on Wikipedia first, you know, <laughs> to the person who sent in this question. Um, this is good because we brought the term before. Um, Nikki, what does agile mean? I think agile is really about iteration. So it's the idea that you're creating something, you're launching it, and you're analyzing it. I'm not using the exact terms that agile uses, but I think layman's terms, that's really what it is. It's about kind of being fast and um, the opposite of agile. So if you were to type in agile versus, it'd be waterfall. So waterfall is really taking your time 
thinking out the concept, um, iterating, refining on it, and then doing all these kind of more upstream things before you launch it. When you launch it, you're like, this is what I know I want to do. This is exactly right. I'm going to launch it. And Agile is more about doing that MVP approach where you're putting something out there and you're saying, you know what, I think this is what we're looking to do, um, but we're going to launch something, kind of just see how it goes from there. We're going to iterate. We're going to be very aware of our KPIs, and we're going to keep on iterating on what we launch rather than kind of holding everything back for that one big launch. Agile really centers around the nature of building small pieces that eventually become part of the larger whole. And as you're, as Nikki just said, you're building those smaller pieces and seeing it was that the right piece? Because it's easier to take off a very small piece than to throw out the entire project. Sort of like playing Monopoly and you land on Park Place. You don't put all the hotels on it right at the exactly. beginning. Got yes. it. Um, so, you know, someone had a question on the, the main differences between various uh, computing languages, Java, Ruby. Um, I guess, based on our conversation today, my advice would be... Google it. Google it. <laughs> when it... Java versus Ruby versus, and then head over to Wikipedia and get some in-depth. And it also depends on what you're looking to build. Again, um, you need to think about those applications that you're looking to also bring into your products. So if you're looking uh, to use the e-commerce example, um, there might be some technologies that are out there that you can license, that you can get your shop onto, and then you just have to really understand what they're based on, um, what code they're using, and then you're going to start making your thing based on that. And I think this also comes into hiring. When you're first choosing the technical architecture, you also have to think about, is there a pool out there of developers that I can hire to keep working on this? So we do a female founder hour where uh, female founders in New York can spend an hour with me doing product strategy. And very often they will have found a developer somewhere and he's writing in some obscure JavaScript language and they are having a lot of trouble finding someone else who can pick up that code. And so you, especially as a startup, want to choose whether it's a Ruby or a Python or a Java, something where there's a large community of developers that you can then select from later for your second and your third and your 15th and your 150th developer. So you're you're not having, you've already got the challenge of of hiring someone based on personality and whether or not you can get it a long marriage. Don't have this other complication of narrowing the pool by picking a a coding language that is so obscure. Don't use .NET. Don't use what? (laughs) .NET. That would be, I mean, that's that's obscure and and that's antiquated. But yeah, to Tammy's point, you really need to think about um, the fact that you're going to keep on growing this pool of developers at some point. So you want to think about one language that is shared among many developers. I met I met an incredible uh, CTO, a uh, woman in um, Washington, who was actually behind the team that built the magic wall for CNN. Like, just yeah, exactly, jaw dropping, inspiring. And I looked at her and I said, "Is there any coding language you 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 really don't know?" Like, Laura, you know everything. Like, is there one you don't know? And she's like, oh, "I really don't like COBOL." And watching a room of developers bust out laughing when she mentioned a coding language, it was it was it was. Well, quite I, I mentioned COBOL <laughs> because when I worked. At Farmers Insurance, that they are, they were this company that was really innovative in the '60s, and they brought the first mainframe computer west of the Mississippi. But it's still there, and they were still using it at the time I was there. So I joke with engineers. I was like, I used to have to work with engineers who coded in COBOL, which tend to be outsourced engineers that come in from countries like India and China because no one in America learns that anymore. It's so antiquated, and so I use the same joke because it's true. Don't, don't, don't use don't use COBOL. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
how do you know when to pull the trigger and, and hire someone? I think you have to be, you have to know that you're going to be a strong advocate for them. Um, you know, often when going through a series of interviews with and looking for someone to join your team, you have to think about, A, is this someone I want to work with on a day-to-day basis, whether this is a technical co-founder or it's just someone who's joining your team or it's a developer that you're going to work with. B, do they have the skill set that I'm looking for? Do they meet the criteria of what I really need? And if they can't, can they grow into it? Do I have faith that given a little bit of time and mentorship and resources that not only am I in the position to invest in them as a colleague or as, a, you know, a technical co-founder, um, that they will end up delivering and it will be much, much more worth my time to invest in someone who maybe doesn't have the total skill set right now, but I know can have it. And then finally, would I go to bat for this person? Will I, at the end of the day, stand up and advocate that this is the best person that I could work with versus everyone else? And I think you'll find as you, especially if you have multiple co-founders or if you're in a broader team and you're going to make that decision that some people will very strongly fight for a person to be fired and other people will be kind of, eh, you know, maybe they'd be nice. And you'll you'll really find when you get to that conversation where you lie on that. And if you're not strongly advocating for them, then I, I don't think that's the person you should hire. I know there are a number of entrepreneurs that are listening to this broadcast. Those are really great things to decide who you want to hire. When you're an entrepreneur, you think a lot about runway. And from my perspective, it's irresponsible to hire someone unless you think you have six months of runway with them. Because they are trusting you with their future. And six months to me, if you're joining a startup, is pretty solid. Uh, but if you can't say for sure that this person will have a job for six months, hire them as a contractor. Make sure that's very clear and transparent with them. Respect them enough to say this is where we are. This is where we yeah. This is where we are with our funding, or this is what our hiring process is. Because you know you got to rely on everybody rowing the same direction, particularly in an early stage uh, company, or if you're acting like a startup within a big company. Thank you for listening to BroadMic. We welcome your feedback. Find us on Facebook where you will have show notes and additional references for a deeper dive into today's topic. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Please review our podcast on iTunes, which will help other listeners discover BroadMic and grow the BroadMic community. BroadMic is produced by Christy Mirabel with editing by John Marshall Media. Our executive producer is Sarah Weinheimer. Think broad.